When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Knife Talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturer of the finest knife heat treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. So welcome to episode 20 of Knife Talk. Now we've got another great show lined up for you today, as today I'll be speaking with Master Bladesmith, and he's also a judge in Forged in Fire, it's Jay Nielsen. So welcome to the show, how are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm very good, thanks. Very good. So, it, I mean, it's a real honor to have you on the show. Your, your work is is beautiful, and, and I'm a big fan of the, of, the sh- of the show, Forged in Fire. But we'll talk about the show a bit later. You're probably a bit fed up of people wanting to talk about the show. So let's talk about you and your knives for a while. <laughs> so, so, okay. so why knives? What got you into knives? Uh, I think it's a childhood thing, which you know happens to a lot of us. I mean, everybody talks about you know, the original Command movie with Schwarzenegger and you know, all the swords and just fascination with the, like the sword and sorcery movies that I grew up with. And yeah, you know, I started out trying to collect cheap swords and stuff like that when I was younger, hmm. but nobody's carrying swords around. People are carrying knives. So I figured, okay, I can try making those and actually carry and use them. And it was just basically a hobby that snowballed out of control. Yeah, so, so how long have you been making knives? Uh, I've been making knives seriously for almost 20 years. Why? Right, right. um, I built a, an actual decent shop, but I've been puttering around with knives for probably 10 years longer than that. Mm-hmm. So are you one of those people that's always sort of making something? I mean, before knives, were you making other stuff? Is it just... Oh, yeah. I, you know, when I was trying to collect cheap swords and stuff like that, I'd make oak racks to hang them on the walls and... Yeah, I'm always doing something with my hands. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just started off, you know, buying cheap knives at yard sales and flea markets and rehandling them, uh, old bayonets and stuff like that. And then that got old. So I started grinding out my own knives out of saw blades and files. And then that got boring. So, all right, let me try to forge a knife. So it's just, it's just a progression. It's a, it's a perpetual sickness that never, never gets any better. <laughs> so you seem to specialize in sort of hunting style knives. So, I mean, personally, I make knives for the kitchen. So I'm just wondering, have you ever made any kitchen mm-hmm. knives? Oh, yeah. I've got a whole section on the website of kitchen knives. Oh. Uh, probably about 10, 12 years ago, you know, I had some people, you know, regular customers that wanted to get something uh, for their wife because they were spending too much money on knives hmm. <laughs> for themselves and they had to get something to appease their wife or, you know, they wanted something that they could use that was handmade to their specifications that when it wasn't hunting season. Gotcha, yeah. uh, so I started playing around with kitchen knives then and, you know, they just 
snowballed also. Got you. Okay, dog. So, so tell us about your workshop. I mean, do you work there alone, or do other people come to your workshop too? Oh uh, no, it's just me. I I don't have the patience to have somebody else in the shop. Um, I mean, I do I do classes, you know, when time allows hmm. uh, for like one or two people at a time. Uh, but as far as my eyes, nobody works on them but me. Right. Okay. Um, cool. I've had plenty of people ask about being apprentices and stuff, and I I don't have the patience to <laughs> sit there and train somebody on my stuff. Yeah. I, I tell people all the time, I, I love my son to death, and he's got a time limit in my shop. <laughs> but I know what you mean. I mean, I have an apprentice, well, not an apprentice, but I have a, a, a school kid come in once a week just to sort of learn a bit. But, I mean, I really right. have to write that day off because you've got your eye on everything that they do because, you know, it's a dangerous environment, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's like, uh, you know, the, the chop shows and stuff like that where they got kids. I mean, they're, they're working with compressed gases, mm. liquid nitrogen, knives, you know, all kinds of dangerous stuff. It's the same way in the knife shop. Hmm. You'd spend, you know, especially if somebody doesn't know, you know, what's going on or doesn't have the experience, you spend all your time watching them and not getting any of your own work done. Exactly. <laughs> so, so every knife maker I speak with is they're always working on a new skill. So, so what you're working on that's either new to you or you know something that you you really want to put that extra legwork into. What you what you're looking to improve. Uh. Right now, I'm looking to improve my feather Damascus. Mm. It's, a, it's a beautiful pattern. I've only done it maybe 10 times, um, and it's one of the more difficult ones that I've run into. So I'm trying to improve on that. Uh, the biggest skill I'm trying to develop right now, though, is juggle my time schedule between <laughs> everything that's going on right now and trying to get all my orders done and don't upset customers by being too late. Yes, I've just been through that over Christmas. Everybody wanted their sort of orders before Christmas. And um, it's, I've, yeah, lucky enough to have a bit of downtime myself now. But I can imagine for yourself, it's it's nonstop. Yeah, well, I got, uh, well, we're supposed to start shooting new episodes next month. Mm. So, yeah, it's a scramble I'll try and get stuff done as much as I can beforehand so people aren't waiting around twiddling their thumbs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so when you start with a knife, do you start with a, a design process or do you literally start forging and, and see where that takes you? Uh, most of the time, I just start forging. Um, I've got enough years under my belt, I think, where I can guide the steel where it needs to go for an order. And, and I've made so many knives. I mean, I've got, I've got a shop tour uh, on my website. It's a... It's a Facebook, it's on Facebook hmm. and I've got a wall full of patterns that I used to use. I don't anymore because I've just made them all so many times. It's, it's pretty much just built into my brain now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, re regarding patterns and knife designs, I mean, they seem to have tra trends that change over time, don't they? So uh, any trends that you're seeing at the moment in knives? Uh, I'm seeing a, a lot more. Uh, people that started out and were doing stock removal, moving over into the forging. Hmm. Um, not so much because it was always a big myth a forged knife is a better knife. It's not necessarily true. There's stock removal knives out there that are great, hmm. but you can do a lot more with the forging application than you can do with stock removal. So you do stock removal, after a while, you're going to hit a wall. And if you want to progress past that, you know, then you move into the forging. I mean, you can't take a three-inch ball bearing and stock removal a knife out of it. <laughs> There'll be a hell of a lot of grinding for a little knife. 
Yeah, exactly. So I've, I've got a couple of questions from listeners of the show. Um, and I suspect okay. that many of these will be forged in fire related. That's, I'm used to it. That's all right. <laughs> Let's start with a question from John Boschman. Jay, your exposure with Forged in Fire has set you up to be an inspiration and example to a lot of people, but I've always wanted to know what compelled you to do the show in the first place. Thank you very much. Uh, the biggest reason was just to promote the craft. Um, like you mentioned earlier, it's knife making seems like a dying art. Um, there's nobody around me. I mean, the closest person that I know that makes knives is, you know, at least an hour or so away from me. Hmm. Uh, so it just seemed like it was an option to say, hey, this is something we do. This is a passion I have. This is something I love. Check it out. And yeah, honestly, I didn't think we'd make it past the second season. <laughs> <laughs> How did that happen? Did they approach you? Or did you sort of audition for the part? Uh, I just got a phone call out of the blue. I mean, I remember hearing, you know, talking to other knife makers and, you know, there was rumors that some kind of TV show was going to be about knife making or whatever. And we all just kind of giggled and laughed about that. <laughs> so it was funny. Yeah. And then I had this young lady call me when I was working in the shop one day and she said, oh, I'm so-and-so work for the history channel. Uh, we're going to do this, you know, knife making competition. And my reply was, yeah, yeah, that's funny. Who is this really? Because <laughs> I didn't believe her. I thought it was a prank. Yeah. And she took about five minutes to convince me she was actually from history. Um, and, you know, as soon as they say reality TV, you know, everybody kind of puckers up a little bit. Yes. And uh, I did the same thing. And then she started talking about being a judge. And I was like, oh, well, that sounds like an easy gig. Okay, we'll try that. <laughs> so, and then, then, it just, then it just went from there. Yes, yeah. Cool, cool. So I've, I've got another question from, from Sue, and that's the only information I have. It's just the name Sue. You took a break from Forged in Fire for a while due to an injury. Can you tell us more about that? Uh, it's actually not a knife-related injury, oh. um, directly <laughs> anyway. Uh, it was actually probably eight or nine years ago. Uh, I was actually coming from a knife show I did in Ohio, um, and it was early morning. There's a, my front yard has a hill, and I just slipped on the grass and fell. And I fractured one of the small bones in my hand. Oof. And, you know, me being stupid and pig-headed, I never went to the doctor, and it didn't heal correctly. So the bone was actually dying in my hand. And it was pretty much like having a throbbing toothache in your hand for three or four years before I got it fixed. Mm. So that's why I ended up taking time off. Yeah. Okay, okay. And we've got, we've got one more from John, and he asks... Forged in Fire has certainly caused a surge in bladesmiths and knife makers in general. Just wanted to know what your thoughts on this effect of the show is, and if you had any particular advice for anybody new to the craft. Thank you very much. Uh, it's this is a question I answer all the time. One of the best pieces of advice I can give is visit as many other makers' shops as you can. Uh, I know way too many people that go off and start buying things that they don't need and never use and wasting time and wasting money. Hmm. So if you can go visit other people's shops and see what they have, you can actually figure out what you really do need and what you don't. Yeah. And it'll save you a lot of time and money. Yeah. I mean, on a similar note, what, what I found is after making sort of knives for a couple of years and think, you know, thinking they're great knives, but then I started getting knives from other makers um, just to sort of compare and contrast really. Um, but then realizing that, wow, mm -hmm. I'm not hitting the mark here, you know, and you can learn so much from, you know, looking at other people's work, I think. It was funny. I got a, uh, I've had a, a regular customer for a dozen of years. Um, 
And when I was going to uh, go for my master smith rating, mm. I went to the Arkansas knife show because I knew there was a lot of master smiths. And I took my knives there and I showed them to as many master smiths as I could. Mm. And this customer was at the show with me and was kind of like following around and listening to everything they were saying, everything we were talking about. And by the end of the first day, he goes, I'm going to go home and I'm going to sell 99% of my knives. Because I just realized how much crap I have. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I took that an opportunity to sort of clear the decks. So I just um, scrapped all my knives and just, and you know, took six months just to, just to learn again before I sold another knife. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I think that's really important to see other people's work and, and to see them working. Yeah, that's, that's good advice. Yeah. And everybody has different ways of doing things. Um, I've got five instructional DVDs uh, mm-hmm. that I released over the last couple of summers. And I start out right off the bat by saying, hey, I'm not saying this is the way you have to do it. This is the way I do it. Everybody's got their own way of doing things. I always like you know, learning from other people and taking a little of this and a little of that. And if it works for me, great. If not, pass it by and learn something else. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we're so fortunate now as well, because obviously we have shows like Forging Fire and we've got YouTube where there's just so many people making stuff. That, you know, you, you wonder 20 right. years ago, how did people really start, you know? Uh, a lot of beating your head against the wall. That's that's what I did. I didn't I didn't apprentice under anybody. Uh, back when I started making knives, that was way back in the old days where Blade Magazine would actually have a tutorial in each article or in each issue. Yeah. Uh, long time ago, obviously. Uh, so it was a lot of like going to knife shows and just asking, yeah, just asking people. Uh, the first knife show I ever went to was a small one in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, and I had deer skins on the table. I still had a ponytail and bright eyed, bushy tailed kid, uh, saw blade and file knives, all stock removal. Hmm. And I wanted to forge. And there's a gentleman by the name of Keith Bagley uh, from Maryland who basically came over, looked at my stuff, took pity on me, and invited me to a shop for a few days. Oh, nice. So I actually went down to Maryland for two or three days. And he showed me the basics on foraging and the basics on forge welding. Yeah. And after after that weekend, I came home, got a block of steel and a bucket and made a little coal forge and started banging away from there. And from there on, it was basically asking other knife makers, hey, how do I do this? You know, can you help me out? Yes. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, a lot harder than it is these days. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of a lot of trial and error. Yes. Yeah. Are, are there any common mistakes that you see people making over and over again? I mean, particularly on the show where you see so many knife makers. Are there, what are those common mistakes that you're always seeing? Uh, heat treating in the forge. Mm. Uh, so many knife makers heat up the tip of the blade first. You know, they'll hold on to the tang, put the blade in the forge tip first. Mm. And that tip is the thinnest, smallest mass of the whole blade. Mm. So they end up overheating the tip. That's how they end up breaking a lot of tips on knives on the show. Mm. I like to see them flip it over, hold on to the tip with your tongs. That way you heat up the mass of the blade first, and the tongs actually act as a heat sink on the tip. Ah. Once you get the mass of the blade heated up, flip it over, then heat the tip, then quench it. Ah, great idea. That's that's one that... That one, that's one that drives me crazy. <laughs> I go over that on my DVDs too, because it drives me crazy. Uh, and quenching in water, right? It's got to be quenching in water. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, geez. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I remember, I remember one episode, somebody, one of the contestants thought 
he heard somebody else say quench in water. So he went and did it. And oh, that was a mess. <laughs> so do you have a favorite contestant from the show? Uh, somebody whose work you really admired and, you know, you were really happy with what they did on the show? Oh, God, there's actually so many. Um, yeah, I'm constantly impressed by the contestants. Um, you know, people like uh, Neil Kamimura. Mm. Uh, he does fantastic work in, in such a short amount of time. Uh, you know, he came on the show and, and really did an amazing job. I think he's won twice. Uh, no, won once, and he came back for champions, and he made it to the finale. Ah, ah, right. But I don't believe he won. Right, okay, okay. Um, Ryu's another one. Yeah, mm. Ryu, you know, came in. Yeah, he looked, you know, like this little bitty guy that got drug up an island is what he looked like. <laughs> and he ends up making these beautiful pieces. Uh, in the most basic ways possible. I've never seen such amazing work with an angle grinder in my life. Yeah. Uh. Uh, there's, there's really, there's so many. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've had, we've had guys that have been making knives for a year or two, and we've had Master Smiths come on the show, and it's just amazing watching different ways people work. And I don't know how many times I've sat there at the judges' table, thinking to myself, this person's out of their minds. This is never going to work. And what the heck do I think? This is going to be a disaster. And then it works. And I'm like, wait a second. I got to go to my shop and try that. How the heck? <laughs> so, so you're learning too. I learned too. I learned as much of the show as everybody else does, I believe. <laughs> so uh, we, we all know there's going to be a season five. So will you be involved in season five? Yes. Yes. I'll be, in, I'll be involved in season five. Uh, not the whole time. Because um, I've got to balance having you know, the knife shop and filling orders with the show. Yes, yeah. And uh, being away from home for, you know, five, six months at a time, it's not going to work. Yeah. So, you know, this, I, I tell the, the folks on the TV all the time, the TV show is a sideline for me. It's not my job. Making knives is my job. Yes, yeah. Okay, that's cool. That's, that's, that's enough about the show. <laughs> I bet you've been asked so much okay. about the show. And, and um, let's go back to yourself. So some sort of quick fire questions here for you. So your, your favorite steel. Oh, yeah, my favorite steel is 5160. Um, and people roll the rise sometimes, but yeah, it's one of the steels I started with. I've been using it forever. Uh, I've done all of my competition cutters, uh, my journeyman performance test knife, and my master smith was probably at least 70% 5160. Hmm. It's just tough, bounces back, holds an edge. I just love the stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm just wondering, actually, so when you, when you heat treat, are you heat treating in the forge too, or do you just do your forging with the, with the forge and then use an oven for your heat treat? Um, most of the time I use an oven now. Hmm. Um, I've had an oven since right before I did my master smith testing, um, but I still, anytime I have somebody in the shop or a student, we always use the forge for heat treating because that's what I started with. Yeah. Uh, I started either using the forge or an oxyacetylene rig. Okay, okay, cool. Your your favorite handle material? Uh, it's either Coca-Bola or Desert Ironwood Burl, depending okay. on how much how much money I want to put into the knife. Yeah, so it's all natu- natural stuff you like to use. Yeah, I prefer naturals. I mean, some of the synthetics, you know, that I have out now are, are really cool and stuff like that. But I kind of like, for me, I kind of like the clean and classy look. Yeah, yeah, me too, actually, me too. So what's your final sharpening process? Do you use anything fancy at all? Let's talk about one of our sponsors, Tormac. 
To get great razor-sharp and repeatable edges, you're going to need a Tormek. To find out more, go to Tormek.com, which is T-O-R-M-E-K.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. Uh, no, I, I, I do what everybody thought I couldn't be done uh, when I started out, because when I started out, everybody was using stones, which I know a lot of people still do, and that's fantastic. There's nothing wrong with it. Hmm. Uh, but I don't have that much time to sit around. Yeah, I know guys that make <laughs> knives, and then we'll sharpen the knife for the rest of the evening in front of the TV or something like that. Hmm. And uh, early on, when I was puttering around in my shop making stuff, I said, you know, I grind the entire edge of this knife, the entire face of this knife on the belt grinder, why can't I just sharpen it that way too? Hmm. So again, I went to you know flea market, bought a bunch of cheap beat up kitchen knives and started practicing on a one by 30 belt grinder. And I made my own leather belt for stropping and I practiced. And now I can take a 220 belt and a leather belt and sharpen a knife in less than a minute. Hmm. So that speeds up the process incredibly so, so i mean if you do that do you do you slow down the belt so it's not running so fast to overheat or is, is there any tips for that uh no what what i do just move it right across and dunk it in water right to keep it cool yeah as long as you don't get that edge overheated you'll be perfectly fine you just got to be aware of that especially the thinner the blade gets yeah so if it's a thinner blade you just move faster and like i said it's just a matter of practice and it works well with me because normally what i do are flat grinds with convex apple seed edges hmm. so having that belt a little slack works perfectly yeah okay cool cool so i've seen that jason knight and doug both from the show have collaborated on a knife um do you have any plans for any collaborations yeah. at all no no okay <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 just i'm so busy um i mean yeah if if you know if i was approached by you know a company or something like that uh you know i'd think about it, yeah but you know, I like having the stuff I make come out of my shop. Yeah. Uh, not like a factory piece. I mean, if it had like design on a design buy or something like that, that would be one thing. Um, but no, I, I don't have a lot of plans with that. Uh, the one thing Doug and I have talked about is there is a school up in Rochester um, that's got 10 forges. Hmm. And uh, I can't remember the name of it right now, but I just started talking to them about maybe doing some classes up there larger size classes as opposed to being in the shop. That's as close to a collaboration as I've come with anybody. Yeah. Oh, nice. Very nice. Okay. So, so how do you sell your knives? I mean, I assume you've got a large wait list, but how do people get onto that list? Is it all just via the website? Uh, yeah, by the website. Um, I'm, I'm horrible at phone calls. Um, <laughs> I even admit it in my, in my voicemail, it even says I'm horrible at, at I phone did, calls. I did hear yesterday. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's it's mostly the website. Um, I've got an emailing list on there uh, that people can join. Yeah. Um, so when I do on occasion get a chance to make a stock knife, it goes up there before it goes anywhere else. Um, and then I've got a page where you can contact me. You just email me directly either way. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, mostly mostly custom orders. It's like ninety five percent custom orders right now, and I just started booking orders for the first half of 2022. Oh, geez. That's a a lovely problem to have. (laughs) The wife loves it. (laughs) (laughs) So did you expect that when you made that very first knife, that this would now be your career? I mean, what were you doing before making knives? Oh, I just jack of all trades. 
Um, I this actually works out wonderfully for me, even though it wasn't planned, uh, because I was I was terrible at holding a job. Um, I'm I'm way too honest for my own good, and bosses don't like that. So I mean, I I worked in the you know restaurants. Uh, I put you know detailing on cars. Uh, I was a security guard. Uh, I loaded explosives for the Navy as a civilian employee for several years. Uh, forklift driver, bartender, um, just, I was all over the place. I had no, no interest in going back to school for anything and no career plans. Mm. So this just kind of happening over the years, um, and it, things improving year after year. It's just, yeah, it's, it's very unexpected and we're very grateful. Yeah, yeah. And it's quite strange, actually. So every knife maker I've, I've spoken to, I mean, this is our 20th show. Um, most people have a similar background where they, they just didn't really have a career before. And this was a, you know, a sideline. And that's just picked up. And this is what they do. Right. It's funny, I get you know, all of the like, Boy Scout groups and stuff like that, or kids come to the shop to visit hmm. every once in a while. And they're like, oh, I'm going to be a knife maker when I grow up. And I say, no, get an education. <laughs> make knives as a hobby. This is a hard way to make a living. It really is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do they teach any, any sort of workshop skills now in, in, in the States, in schools? No, no, not, not to the best of my knowledge. And some schools probably have some you know, extra vocational stuff. But, mm. you know, where my kids go to school, no. They, they barely have gym anymore, crying out loud. Jeez, wow, wow. Crazy stuff, crazy stuff. So, so what it's, makes it's totally different from when I was a kid? Yes, yeah. I mean, we had sort of woodwork and we had metalwork and we, you know, all these different things. Yep. But um, yeah, I know, you know, in the UK, it's the same. They're scrapping all those kind of things. Whether it's whether it's a risk thing and they're scared people to hurt themselves, I don't know. But it's it's a real shame. Well, that's one of the reasons that you know my kids come to the shop and they actually make stuff. My son's made probably a half dozen knives now. Uh, my daughter which I recently got grief for on a, on a online magazine, but I've got photos of my, my nine-year-old daughter quenching a blade. Wow. You know, she's got <laughs> goggles and gloves and everything like that, but she knows what to do. She loves, she'll sit out here all summer, the grinder and start shaping stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good to hear. Good to hear. So in your opinion, what makes for the, for a great knife? Uh, well, aside from the obvious of, you know, having an edge that will hold up and cut. Hmm. Uh, one of the biggest things is how it fits in your hand, how it's comfortable, because the handle is going to be an extension of the blade. So I've seen way too many people, and this is another one of my pet peeves I see on the show. Um, a lot of times people think a knife has to be thick and heavy to be strong. Hmm. And that's not the case. I mean, my, my big knives are never thicker than a quarter inch. They're usually thinner. Hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's a compliment when I go to a knife show and somebody picks up one of my big choppers and their arm almost goes to the ceiling. They're like, holy cow, this is light. <laughs> you don't want to walk around the woods with a boat anchor on your hip. Yes, yeah, exactly. And if you get, if you get worn out after six swings, you're never going to use that knife again. Hmm. So it needs to be comfortable in the hand and light enough to keep using all day. Yeah, okay. That's good to know. Good to know. So, I mean, making a knife by hand can be, as, you know, as we both know, a very long process. So have you got any tips for speeding oh, yeah. up that process? Uh, well, more tooling helps. Um, and you know, that doesn't have to be expensive tooling. Um, an example is I have three drill presses in my shop. One set on high speed for handle material, one set on low speed for metal. Mm. And then I've got one that's you know, an upright that's just for hogging. 
And I think between all three drill presses, I've probably only got maybe $350 in them. Hmm. Uh, but something like that and not having to change your belts all the time helps speed up the process. Um, and organization. Uh, okay, here's another pet peeve I have. There's one other reason people don't like working with me. I have this horrible habit of when I'm done with something, I put it back. And I know so many other makers that just end up piling things up and then they end up digging, looking for them. Oh, Matt, that's so me. So organizing your shop is a big deal. I, I've worked with people like that. They drive me insane. <laughs> looking for the drill bit that I've just used. I, I had one time I had a, a Doug and Will come to the shop for a couple of days because hmm. uh, they wanted to learn how to make knives. This was like, I think, season two or something like that. And every five minutes, I'd be like, put that back. Put that back. <laughs> and they're just looking at me like, hey, you're nuts, man. <laughs> but I don't like looking for things. It's just a waste of time. It frustrates me. Yes. Yeah. Um, the same with my shop. I used to have my grinders against the wall, like most people do in their shops. Hmm. Um, when I built this new shop a few years back, uh, I made an island in the middle. And all my grinders are on it. So I just walk all the way around and just go bang, 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 bang. And it just speeds up the process. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm the worst for that. I mean, my shop is just always a mess. You know, when I finish, when I finish a knife, then I'll clean everything up. But, you know, from start to finish, everything is just bedlam. Bedlam. <laughs> That's so, what it is a lot of folks. I, I completely understand it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, talking about tooling, which you, which you just have been, do, do you think we'll see more and more makers using technologies such as CNC machines and laser cutters and water jet cutters to, to produce sort of small factory-style runs at home? Uh, yeah, I've seen uh, – there was a trend. I don't know if it's still going or not as much, uh, but like the mid-tech knives – yeah, you know, where a lot of it is part, they're machined and then basically assembled. Hmm. Um, it, it, I could see it. I could see the process. I could see it being profitable because uh, it's probably a smarter way to make money and make good knives. Hmm. Uh, I know a lot of folks that will do, you know, 20 to 40, 50 pieces all at the same time. Uh, and then, you know, just put different kinds of handles on. Yeah. And then they go to a knife show and they've got a table full of knives. Whereas you got a knucklehead like me who makes like two or three pieces at a time, it's not the most feasible economically hmm. way to do it, but it's just the way I'm built. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I just recently did a batch of neck knives. I think it was like 12, 15 neck knives. And I was almost pulling my hair out then because I hate doing the repetitive work. Right. You know, I like okay. mixing things up. Yeah. I mean, that's a question I, yeah. I always ask guests as well is, if the value in a knife is is yourself, the maker, how do you scale that up? You know, I suppose it's just a case of charging more for your knives. That's all you can do, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it takes a while too. Mm. Uh, when I first started making knives, I first started going to knife shows. Um, I sat down and figured out what I was making per hour, and I think it was like thirty-seven cents an hour. <laughs> and I'm looking at myself in the rearview mirror. I say, "What the heck are you doing? You're out of your mind." <laughs> Um, but it's just, you know, as your skills progress, uh, as your quality gets better, you know, you could start charging more Yeah. and, you know, yeah. it's, it's a lot of the, the value and reputation of a knife maker, um, will help set your price point yes. a lot of times. I mean, like the crazy stuff that we do on the show for strength tests, I've been doing that for years. You know, I've been posting videos and stuff like that. Cause you know, you live out in the middle of nowhere, like I do, you know, it's hard to show people or, you know, have people see what your knives can do. Yeah. So I just do it myself. So 
now I'm known for beating the heck out of knives. So. <laughs> You're the guy nobody wants to give a knife to. <laughs> oh, oh, I get so many, so many funny looks on the show. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. It's kind of, it's kind of be kind of a joke at this point. You know, that Will says I'm going to do the strength test, and I just walk up giggling and rubbing my hands together, and that's, <laughs> and that's like sweat, sweat starts popping out on people's foreheads. <laughs> So are there any important steps that you see other knife makers and sort of bladesmiths that they're overlooking that you've seen, you know, whether it's a small detail that you think that would just improve them so much? Uh, Re-softening your tangs and your shoulders and your knives. Mm. Um, It seems a lot of what I see um, that gets skipped and it's just a simple thing. It only really takes like five minutes. Any of the knives I do, after I heat treat them, after I temper them, before I start finish grinding them, I'll take two blocks of steel and lay them right in the plunge grinds mm-hmm. so they act as heat sinks. And I'll take a propane torch and just blue everything below that. And it you know, gives you a little more cushion, a little more spring yeah, uh, yeah. in those areas. And you can also do the whole spine, you know, like on a big chopper or something like that. Mm. Uh, so you've got that differential heat treat, which I think is very important to have. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so do you not um, when you when you plunge, do you not just edge edge treat them? Do you do you put the whole blade in? What what what's your preferred method? It uh, depends depends on what I'm making. Uh, a lot of times, if I'm making a Damascus blade, a lot of times folks don't want that that quench line mm. going through the pattern. Sometimes they do. It all depends on customer's preference. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you can actually have that hard edge and soft spine if you you know, heat sink the edge and then torch everything blue without it interrupting the pattern in the steel. But normally, you know, the mono steel blades and stuff, I edge quench them. Yeah. But I still go back and torch them blue anyway, just to be on the safe side. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. Good to know. So I've got just three more questions that I'm going to ask, which I ask every guest at the end of the show. So what is your, okay. fa- what is your favorite and least favorite part about making a knife? Ah. Uh, my favorite part is actually seeing it come together, you know, between the hammer and the grinder, you know, seeing, okay, this is what you've worked on this. You're actually making something out of nothing for the most part, hmm. you know, basically giving, giving birth to something. Uh, my least favorite part of knife making is the clerical stuff. Uh, Cause if you're a full-time knife maker, you don't just make knives. You're also a <laughs> photographer. You're also an advertiser. You're a secretary, you're a packager. Um, and all that stuff just sucks the joy out of knife making. Yeah, me. all the admin stuff. Oh, completely. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. And it's not like you can just hire somebody to do it for you. You know, you got to talk to the customers. You got to be creative with the customers and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just, it, it's all the extra stuff that takes it from being just a fun hobby to a business, which you have to do, but that's my least favorite part of it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much the same here. Well, that and the hand sanding, but you know, <laughs> that's a necessary evil. Yeah, it's, that's not as bad. I, I started uh, several years ago using that Rhino Wet paper. Oh, right, um, yes, and that yeah. works really well. That that speeds up the process. I can't get hold of that in, in Europe here, but um, yeah, but a lot of people have said that that it's it's a really good paper. Another thing you can do, which I did before that, was take a palm sander. Mm-hmm. and rough out all the machine scratches with palm sander, and it makes the rest of the hand sanding a lot easier also. Ah, right. Yeah, maybe mount one sort of horizontally and um, and use it as a sort of, you know, a, almost like a surface grinder then. That could be quite nice. 
I've got a, uh, I've got a, uh, half of a pipe clamp on the corner of my workbench hmm. that's bolted in place. I can send you a picture of, and I clamp it. It's my hand sanding station. So I would just clamp it. So the blade was sticking out and just take the palm sander and just run it up and down the blade, get rid of all the machine scratches. And then just start doing my my single direction scratch pattern. All right, I, th- I think I'll give that a go. That sounds good. Sounds good. So, so okay. what what are you finding challenging? Anything that you'd love to make but you haven't quite built up to yet? I mean, you know, is it, is that that one thing you haven't tackled yet? Oh God, there's so many things I haven't tackled yet. It's just there's so many so many things to do. Um, I've been having people bugging me to start making folding knives for years. Um, I don't really carry folding knife very often. I've made a few over the years. Uh, it's funny. I actually signed up for Joe Zalaski's uh, folder class right before we did season one. Hmm. And you know, people are always giving me grief. They're like, you're always finding a way to get out of doing folding knives. So we got the schedule for season one. I had called Joe up, said, Joe, I got to cancel class. Like, bye. And he's like, <laughs> you son of a. <laughs> and you still haven't got around to it then. But, uh, <laughs> I still haven't gotten around to it now. And with the order backlog I got right now, I don't know if I'm going to. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to do some more, some more of the bigger choppers um, and some basic Damascus patterns because uh, I, just, I just love doing that kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, I'll, I'll get weird ideas in the middle of the night that I want to try out. Um, that's actually how I started doing the ball bearing Damascus, uh, the canister stuff hmm. that I'm pretty well known for nowadays. Um, I just had this thought in the middle of the night. Hey, gee, I've done canisters with scrap Damascus. I use 52100 steel. I wonder if I could put ball bearings in a canister. Hmm. So I didn't sleep much the rest of that night. Went in the shop the next day and tried it and actually worked. And then I started testing it. And after I found out that it will hold up and make a good blade, uh, that was probably the number one pattern for me for like the next four years. So it kind of took off. Yeah. So yeah, just getting those weird ideas and being able to act on them would be nice. Yeah. So, yeah. but hard having the time to do that more yeah. and more. Finding the time, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you're obviously a, a very well respected figure in the in the knife world, and many knife makers look up to you. But who do you look up to? Uh, well, obviously Keith Bagley. Like I said, he's the one that you know took the time, invited me down to his shop the first time, and you know we've been friends ever since. Uh, another one is Ed Caffrey out in Montana. He's been a master smith forever. Um, I used to harass Ed all the time. I'd go to the blade show and he'd be at his table up front and I'd have my little bitty table way in the back. And every year I'd walk up to his table, grab him, drag him back to my table and say, what do I need to work on? And he'd tell me and I'd go and, mm-hmm. you know, do that. And, uh, oh, this is just uh, this is so many great guys out there. I mean, yeah, we got, we got, young kids that are coming at like Kyle Royer. Um, we got guys like Bert Foster, you know, they've been just doing phenomenal work. I mean, I look at them and drool. So it's just, and and the bar seems to get set higher and higher. So, yeah. And, and, you know, and it's thanks, thanks to guys like you who are, you know, sharing what you do. And obviously the show is getting this, this, you know, this new group of people into, into bladesmithing and making knives. So, yeah, the future's bright. It's, uh, yeah, it's definitely on the uptick. You know, that's one of the reasons I did the DVDs because I can only do so many classes again between the show and you know filling orders. So I did those the same way I do my class, and it's step by step. You know, basic English. Uh, I'm not looking to wow anybody with you know my technical abilities or anything like that. I'm just trying to show people how to do it. 
So, and I, I think that that in the show has helped a lot. Yeah, and and your your tutorials are available on your site at the, to stream as well, aren't they? Yes, yes, they can either be DVDs or streaming. Yeah, so it makes it a lot easier for folks you know don't want to pay shipping or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. So, thank you so much for your time. Um, no. I look forward to seeing you in season season five. Um, okay. And just thanks so much for chatting with me today. Oh, I enjoyed it. I think you know, thanks for giving me the chance to. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.